Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? All right, show me with your thumbs. I do this with the youth. How's everyone doing? Good, not so good? Oh, there's a lot of thumbs up, so that's great. Junior youth, or maybe you're not as honest as junior youth. Junior youth would be like, <laughs> like whoa, I'll talk with you later. Timmy, all right, good. Well, it's good to see you guys are all doing well. My name is Peter Clausen. I'm an associate pastor here at Deer Run Church, and this morning I get to speak, I get to kind of close up our series on the Holy Spirit with talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you had role models growing up? How many of you had your role models be TV stars? I think my two main role models growing up were, there's many, but if I had to bring them to two, I would say Michael Knight would have been the first one from Knight Rider. It's a leather jacket and the hair, the hair I can never get now. And the other one was uh, Hulk Hogan. Um, Hulk Hogan to me was just a beast. And he just kind of like, I'm like, wow, I uh, would love to be Hulk Hogan. Just the strength of him, just, uh, it, it just put me in a state of awe. But I found out that Hulk Hogan was not the strongest person to have ever lived. I did not even realize this until recently, but there was a man named Louis Sear. He is uh, known as being the strongest man who ever lived. He was born on October 10th, 1863. He grew up in a lumberjack community in Quebec and was nicknamed the Canadian Samson. So naturally, he would have just grown his hair out. His mother was a person you would not want to mess with. She was six foot two and 265 pounds. She prob that would I'm that probably would have helped because um, Lewis was second of 17 children, and he was also weighing in at 18 pounds as a newborn. For her sake, I hope that wasn't a trend. Lewis was incredibly strong. He worked in the lumber yard, lifting heavy logs. His recorded accomplishments included lifting 500 pounds with one finger and lifting 4,337 pounds on his back in Boston. It takes a lot being strong. It takes a lot of energy. They said that he would eat up to six pounds of meat, not a day, per meal. Those are expensive grocery bills. One of the craziest tests of brute strength was when he, on more than one occasion, resisted the pull of four horses, two in each hand, as men were cracking the whips to get the horses to pull in different directions. Any normal person would have been torn in two, but not Louis Sear. He held the horses together. Sadly, he died November 10th, 1912, in Montreal of chronic nephritis, which is a kidney disease. As powerful as Louis Sear was, he is no longer powerful. He no longer is. Louis's strength was limited to his life and could only be manifested physically. This morning, I would like us to talk about a power that is not limited by time, space, 
or matter. A power so profound that we can't even measure it because we don't have the instrumentation or brain power to wrap our minds around it. I'm speaking about the power of the Holy Spirit. A power we have access to, but a power rarely engaged. You know when the power of the Holy Spirit is engaged because you hear stories of transformation that bring God glory around you, and it leaves you thinking, did that actually happen? Did we experience that? And I'm not just talking about an emotional response, though that is important. We could spend all, all week talking about how powerful the Holy Spirit is, but I believe that it's equally important uh, to, to understand the permission and ability that we have as Christians to live in that power, to have it manifested in our lives. The Holy Spirit is not just a temporary companionship that we have. Jesus said in John chapter 14, 16, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Forever. We are talking about an eternal connection to a force larger than we can imagine. Made possible only by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The cross that washed our sins and secured our soul in eternity. And with that, I would like us to pray. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you into this space. Thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for how you have demonstrated over and over and over again that you are capable of um, working through us and doing incredible, incredible things. Thank you so much that you, um, that you love us and that you guide us. And we want to just invite you to continue working in and through our lives so that we can demonstrate your power that points towards Jesus Christ. And so this morning... We just ask that you would be lifted up and that you would work in and through us. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Last, uh, last few weeks, Pastor Reich uh, was uh, preaching, uh, uh, I think, three different uh, sermons that, uh, that brought us to this point. The first, time, uh, the first sermon he preached was about the uh, Holy Spirit as a companion and, and what that means for us. And then the week after that, we looked at the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, giving the Spirit control in our lives. And for many of us, giving God control will probably be the most difficult thing you will ever do in your life. It sounds very nice coming from the pulpit, but it's difficult for us. We refuse to release often the grip of uh, pain, fear, shame, and control that we harbor. Jesus invites us to trade our heavy load with his light yoke. And we read that in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. I hope that you did something with these concepts. I hope that you marinated with these truths that we, that we get from Scripture. I hope you wrestled with it and applied it to your life. Allowing the Spirit to fill, control, and guide you. Which brings me to last week's sermon Pastor Reich spoke on. And it was ways that the Spirit works in and through you. Manifesting Himself in your transformation. 
And so today we're going to explore the power of the Holy Spirit and what that means for our lives. I get the feeling that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, many of us have this subconscious picture of what the Holy Spirit is. And I fear that many of us have him looking like Casper, the friendly ghost. This transparent, soft, whispering extension of God. Something distant, something safe that kind of just made his debut in the book of Acts. But the truth is nothing could actually be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit isn't just mentioned in Acts. He is debuted in the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now it says God. But in the Hebrew, the word that they used is Elohim. Elohim is the plural word for El. El is the Hebrew word for God. The plurality of this word is very significant because it points towards the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is the Trinity, being absolute in divine majesty and power. In the 1920s, the famous astronomer Edwin Hubble, the very guy that they named the, uh, the Hubble telescope um, after, made a groundbreaking discovery. He discovered that all of the galaxies are expanding. That if you are to go back in time, they would be closer. They were all expanding in different directions. The light changed color. The further it was, the redder the light. The closer it was, the yellower the light. That coupled with Albert Einstein's theory of gravity solidified the notion that everything came into existence, that there was a, that there was a beginning, there was a start. Genesis chapter 1, 1. And the, and the words of uh, the cognitive neuroscientist, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, I love it how she, she always says it. She says, I love it when science catches up with the Bible. What power would it have taken to create something? And we often say, oh, creating something, but creating something from nothing. I can create a painting with pre-existing materials. You need paint, water, canvas, brush. I mean, I guess you don't need a brush if you're one of these crazy painters who do it with their hands or faces. But you need pre-existing material. God creates something from nothing. That is absolute power. God isn't some manipulator of some pre-existing material left behind from some uh, ancient celestial beings. Nope. Our God creates something from nothing. Think about that. From nothing he created our sun, which produces 380 billion terajoules of energy every second. Maybe you're like me and you're like, wow. Wow. I don't know what a terajoule is, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> well, one second of energy of 380 billion terajoules is, uh, would be able to power everything on Earth 650 years in just one second. And we now know that there are other stars, suns, that are over a hundred times bigger than ours. God created that from nothing. That is scary power. <laughs> 
Woo! The Holy Spirit was there in Genesis. He came upon um, uh, through, through the entire test, uh, Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit is woven in and through there. He was there with the judges, the warriors, the prophets. He gave them extraordinary power. For example, uh, he was in Joshua. Uh, you, he was with Joshua in Numbers 27, uh, verse 18. Othniel, he was there in Judges 3, verse 10. And Gideon, he was there with him in Judges 6, verse 34. He was there with Samson in Judges 13, 25, and chapters 14, verse uh, 16. Throughout the entire Old Testament, the power of the Holy Spirit inspired holiness in believers, according to Psalm 143, verse 10. In Ezekiel chapter 36, 27, it says, it promised that someday God would put His Spirit in His people in a way that would cause them to live according to His statutes. It's like, huh. I wonder what he's referring to. You fast forward, Jesus is born. Jesus is ministry. Jesus dies. Jesus ascends. His followers come together in Jerusalem. Pentecost happens. And something extraordinary occurs that changes everything. In Acts chapter 2, it describes it like this. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them. Why was the first thing that the power emulated, why was the first thing that they were gifted with was tongues, the power of language? Well, here's the interesting thing. It just so happens that at the time of Pentecost, more than 15 different cultures and languages would come together. They were present in that area at that time. The followers of Jesus now had an unbelievable edge they had an unbelievable foot in the door now to connect with these different cultures that they normally wouldn't. They would be off in their own cliques. Those cliques were taken away as they now like, oh my goodness, I can speak different languages. Jesus told them this would happen. Acts chapter 1.8 says, but you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? And when you will be... And, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The power points to Jesus. It is the power. It is this power. It is this force that will be the conduit of our evangelism. It is more than just simply history, logic, and intellectual reason. It's more than, it's more than just head knowledge. It's more than just the means to change our culture. More than a political and economic system that, that humans invent. It is a life force that lives inside of us. Housed in our flesh and inside of our minds. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20 says this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You 
are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now I want us to take a moment right now and just appreciate this concept of your temple. The power that was there, present at the universe, that we read about in Genesis chapter 1-1, the power that was there when time, space, and matter were born, the power that raised Jesus from the dead now resides in you. The very moment you, dis- you say yes to living to becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. With that in mind, how does that change the way you see the world? With that truth in your heart, how does that actually change the way that you view yourself? I don't know about you, but for me, when I ingest this truth, I feel a boost of confidence. My confidence is boosted because now it's no longer about Peter Clausen. Now it it becomes all about Jesus. It's no longer about what I can do. It's about what the Holy Spirit can do in me. This reality should embolden us. It should engage us. Acts chapter 4.31 says when, it says this, And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. A defining mark of of the, the power of the Holy Spirit is boldness. Now don't get boldness mixed up or confused with loud. There's a lot of loud people out there. That does not make you bold. Biblical boldness is simply this. It is the courage to act and speak without fear, regardless of any real or imagined dangers. Let me repeat that. Biblical boldness is the courage to act and speak without fear, regardless of any imagined or real dangers. Basically, boldness represents action despite risks. Disciple Peter was not very bold when he denied Jesus three times before he was crucified. However... He was bold when he stood up and he raised his voice in Acts chapter 2, 14 to 36 and delivered one of the most powerful sermons ever preached. Where did this come from? It was the same Peter, but one had the power of the Holy Spirit. One made different choices. Those terrified disciples hiding in fear from the Jewish authorities suddenly were no longer afraid when they possessed the power of the Holy Spirit. It was like there was a line drawn in the sand. They left the safe places and they stepped out into the light, into the world to to, um, testify the works of Jesus. But do you know what the tragedy is? The tragedy of all of this is that we hear something like this, and we sit here and we're like, wow, that's cool. That is so cool that the Holy Spirit did that. In real time, in space, he he engulfed these people and, and just 
you know, started a movement. That is so cool. Wow, that's amazing. That's wonderful that these spirit-filled people did that. We sit here, we marvel, not even connecting the dots, that that same spirit that invoked the power in the lives of ordinary, everyday people 2,000 years ago is alive and active now in the same way he was then. And more than that, he's geographically located inside of us. To me, that's a tragedy. Yet we, in all of our theological understanding, drowning in biblical resources and translations, possess the most timid Christians ever produced in church history. How is that possible? How is that? People filled with the Spirit aren't living in the power of the Spirit. That's a question we need to ponder. We have a radical God, but we are not able to have a radical faith? How does that work? Could it be that we have been conditioned to fear? Could it be we, we have allowed fear to seep into our churches? How can we be led by the Holy Spirit when our hearts are riddled with fear? Fear of tomorrow, fear of people, insecurity, that we're not good enough, etc., etc., etc. Fear in God cannot coexist. So many believers today are glued to their devices, ingesting dangerous amounts of information, whether it be social, whether it be political, whether it be economic in nature, or just plain useless. We are replacing the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the power placed in us with the limitations our fears have governed us with. And I think it is more detrimental than we realize. No matter how messed up this world gets, and its social, political, and economic corruption, we must always believe, we must always live as though God is greater than the world is bad. We must always believe and live as though God is greater than the world is bad. Because He is. But I don't see that very often. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says that, the, that Satan is the God, small g, of this world. That means that this is his domain. For now. For now. This is his turf. And though we are called to do on earth as, as it is in heaven, we have to come to terms with the fact that this world is governed by our enemy, and it is no longer our home. And so it's imperative that we do not get too comfortable it is Satan who has the monopoly and in global influence, opinions, goals, hopes, and views. And it shocks me when Christians are surprised at the mere evil that exists in our uh, corrupt systems and institutions. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is his turf. I would be lying to you though, in all honesty, if I did not have concerns about the condition of our world, seeing where it is going. After all, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I think about those things. But when I catch myself being weighed down by those concerns, I'm going to give you a little bit of a scriptural me uh, medicine here. 
I get a good dose of Psalm chapter 2. I read that and then I go to sleep. And this is what it says in Psalm chapter 2. Why do nations rage and the people, people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. See, and we thought globalism was a recent phenomenon. Against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cord from us. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs. It's not something like, And then the Lord of hosts, burning with anger, crushed his enemies like grapes in a wine press. No, he laughs. God is never surprised and he's never phased by what's going on. He responds with a chuckle. If God laughs, then why are we so afraid? When our hope reaches so far beyond anything of this world, armed with the permanent power of the Holy Spirit, we can speak the words of Paul and say something like, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Stop allowing fear to steal your sense of joy, your sense of mission and purpose. The battle on earth is still being waged, but the war is won. It was won at Calvary when Jesus nailed our sins to the cross through his body. Dude, that means means you and me are free. Okay? We're free because of what Jesus did. There's always going to be fear. God doesn't take away the fear, but he gives us the Holy Spirit to overcome our fear. My son Zephyr inspires me. He has a very vivid imagination, so his uh, nightmares are pretty intense. And so... Marie and I were brainstorming of things that we can do, and one of the things that we've done, we, we wrote out uh, scripture and we put it over his bed so that he can read it whenever he feels afraid. And the scripture he knows very well is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, where it says this. When he's afraid, he says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I want, I want that scripture to make its way into your heart of power, of love, and self-control. That's the spirit we've been given. Not a spirit of fear. That's not for us. Paul wrote this to Timothy because Timothy, he, he saw the timidity that was in him. He wanted to tell him not to be afraid, not to be a coward. Fear is not from God. I believe that when we genuinely believe this, we become something else entirely. Satan's worst nightmare. A bold, confident Jesus lover with the spirit of power, love, and self-control inside of us. Over a year ago, I, uh, I got a phone call from someone that I knew. And they asked me, they said, hey, Pastor Peter, uh, do you believe in demons and stuff? Whenever someone asks me those questions, uh, I go, oh, boy, here we go. (laughs) Yes, yes, I do. And he proceeded to tell me of some paranormal activity uh, that uh, that was happening in an apartment complex. 
um, and new office area that were attached to where he was working. And so uh, when no one would be in the complex, footsteps were frequently heard, both walking and running. Objects would be moving with no one there. Toilets would flush with no one there. Um, and the floor would, off, uh, would, uh, would violently be shaken. So you can imagine how enthusiastic I was to drive 30 minutes to deal with this situation. But the employer, who was a terrified unbeliever, uh, was desperate to get rid of whatever it was that was haunting this complex. Uh, people wouldn't move in, and the office workers all ran out of the door um, and wouldn't return because uh, a door would all of a sudden just violently slam shut with no one there. I spent the drive over praying and reminding myself that it ha was, has nothing to do with me, and I wanted to attribute everything to God. And I remember calling up uh, Mr. Bill Giesbecht for some words of wisdom, and I'm like, Bill... This is what I'm thinking about doing. This is what I'm dealing with. These are the scripture verses. So give me some wisdom. And I'll never forget what he said. He says, that, 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 that sounds good. <laughs> Bill, I'm walking into a house full of demons here. Could you just give me something, you know, like, uh, give me some, you have like special words? Nope, that, what you said was good. Okay. <laughs> and then he's like, I'll be praying for you. Thank you. <laughs> and I remember showing up at this place, and um, we walked in, and there's nothing like walking into a place, and you can immediately feel the darkness wing in on your chest. Now, I had dealt with demons and these types of things before, uh, but not on this scale. I've done some training in college, and I've read some books, but there was something just sobering about walking into this place, and you knew that it was exceptional. Uh, but immediately... Like I was praying boldly and confidently, I went from one corner of this complex to the other, cleaning out the evil presence that was there. Uh, because uh, growing up, my mom always taught me, when you clean a room, you always start from one corner, and then you go to the other corner. So I just used that same concept, only in a spiritual sense. So that's what we did. went to every room, and I, and I laid hands on the walls. And, and was speaking all in the name of Jesus, and by the authority and with the power of the Holy Spirit walking through each and every room. You have to say it out loud because demons cannot read your mind. Um, so you, you must make those commands out loud. When we finally reached the last corner of the last office, my friend and I looked at each other. We noticed how the atmosphere was completely different. It was visibly lighter, which is very common. I told him that it was filled with the Holy Spirit, and we both felt compelled to share our hearts standing there in a previously dark place, but now a light place, and we just shared with each other. It was beautiful. It was a, it was a worship service. It was profound. This experience reminded me of the potential that we possess and the power of the Holy Spirit. It reminded me that miracles are still happening. Demons are still being cast out, and they literally shudder in our presence because we house the most powerful force in the universe, the author 
of the universe. Church, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be intentional about engaging the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want you to believe and accept the reality that the force is intimately connected to you. It is woven, it is woven into your identity as a follower of Jesus. So hold nothing back. Life is far too short. Be the light when there is darkness. Be the hope when there is discouragement. Be bold when the world tells you to blend in. I don't know about you, but wherever I go in my life, I want to leave a trail of changed hearts in my life. The best indicator that the Holy Spirit is working in your life is when the gospel is being preached in the way that you live, in the way that you speak, in word and action. Praise God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we have this companion. That even when we feel lonely, we are not alone. That even when we feel overtaken, we are not, we are not um, beaten. That even though we feel like we're in the dark place, we possess this light, this love that cannot be quantified with a human language. Thank you so much that the Holy Spirit is alive and active. And God, we invite the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our church, to love so incredibly passionately uh, uh, onto people that we will send shockwaves into the spiritual realm because of not what we can do, but God, what you can do in and through us. Thank you so much that we get to see evidence of this in the, in the missions people that we send across the world. We want to pray for those that are in Ukraine. Pray for those, uh, for, uh, for Maddie and, and Isabel and, and, uh, and Sarah as they are, are training. And thank you so much just for how you're working in and through our congregation as we love on each other and on our community. And we ask that you would continue to do so, that you would draw us dangerously close to who you are. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. God bless you.